You're listening to the Esoteric News Briefs, your source for the paranormal, the mysterious, and the weird. Tonight we have UFO cover-ups, Jew witches, and a Bronze Age coffin that may impact your golf score. Something in the universe is exploding. A lot. And doing so frequently. Enough so that it was detected by China's 500-meter Aperture Spherical Radio Telescope, or FAST for short. Over the course of 60 hours, the FAST observation team watched the object known only as FRB121102 explode 1,652 times, each time generating a massive electromagnetic pulse. Currently, the theory is that the celestial object is a type of dying star known as a magnetar. While it sounds like a Pokemon, its name reveals what makes it unique. A magnetar is described as being the corpse of a star, specifically a neutron star. In some cases, the neutron star becomes highly magnetized, creating this unique occurrence. The intense magnetic fields generated by a magnetar can sometimes result in massive explosions that can be detected as fast radio bursts, which is where the FRB designation comes from. Most of the time, these magnetic explosions are a one-and-done type thing, but in the case of 121102, it seems more like a chain reaction. On the plus side, the magnetar is 3 billion light-years away, so we don't really have much to worry about, if anything at all. Now, if you'll excuse me... Magnetar, I choose you! On November 15, 2021, the Russian Federation recklessly conducted a destructive test of a direct ascent anti-satellite missile against one of its own satellites, said United States Secretary of State Anthony Blinken. Okay, so the Russians shot down one of their own satellites. So what? First of all, it's a frightening thought that we have entered the era of warfare where we have surface-to-air missiles that can take out objects in orbit, but there's also the fallout of such an event to worry about. For most of us on the ground, we don't have much to worry about. Most, if not all, of the debris would burn up in the atmosphere during re-entry. For those in orbit, such as those in the International Space Station, this becomes a huge problem. Now, this isn't the first time that a world power has shot down a satellite in a militaristic display, but it is the first time that it has caused the crew of the ISS to begin emergency escape procedures. As a result of the explosion, there is now a debris cloud in orbit consisting of thousands of metallic shards. This orbit came in close proximity to the ISS every 90 minutes, each time forcing the astronauts to prepare for evacuation. By the next day, the debris cloud had moved far enough away that it no longer threatened the station. And for those of you who are interested, yes, there are Russian cosmonauts currently on the station. Even though it no longer directly impacts the ISS, this just adds to the mounting list of debris fields in orbit. While a debris field is potentially devastating, even individual pieces of metal could become massive hazards. 
In 2021, one of the robotic arms of the ISS was struck by a stray piece of debris in orbit, and it punched a quarter-inch hole straight through it. Yes, through both parts of its metal chassis and all its internal components. Now imagine if that had been a pressurized part of the station, or, worse yet, an astronaut. To put this into perspective, the average velocity of a standard 30-06 rifle round is between 2,500 and 3,000 feet per second. Space junk travels at about 25,000 feet per second. Think about that. Debris from exploded satellites orbits the Earth 10 times faster than the speed of the slowest average velocity of a rifle round. No wonder it punches through steel like butter. As the quantity of debris in orbit increases, so does the likelihood of a catastrophic chain reaction in which a satellite is struck, gets knocked into the orbit of another satellite, which in turn creates a domino effect. This potential, and increasingly more likely, event would disrupt communications worldwide. Most people's immediate reaction is, well, why don't we just clean up our space junk? Unfortunately, this is an issue of international paranoia. Whatever device could be used to remove debris from orbit could also be used to remove individually targeted satellites from orbit. World powers fear that their enemies could be testing anti-satellite weaponry under the guise of altruism. On November 23, 2021, Deputy Secretary of Defense Kathleen Hicks working with the U.S. Director of National Intelligence, ordered that a new investigatory body be established by the U.S. Defense Department's Intelligence and Security Office for the sole purpose of investigating unidentified aerial phenomena. This comes as a result of the release of the U.S. Navy's report on UAPs, which ultimately determined that they were, well, unidentified. The new department will be known as Airborne Object Identification and Management Synchronization Group, also known as AOIMSG, further proving that the government is terrible with acronyms. In a bizarre story, Dr. Robert Jacobs is claiming that in the 1960s, he was part of an organized photography team hired by the U.S. government to record nuclear missile tests. In one of these tests, he captured on film an object entering the frame, doing something to a missile, causing it to fail, and then again leaving the frame from the same direction that it had arrived. Quote, In those days, a lot of missiles blew up on the launch pad, says Dr. Jacobs, explaining why he was hired for the job in the first place. Apparently, he had not reviewed what had become routine footage of another failed test missile launch in 1964. At least, not until he was summoned to the office of Major Mansman. Three unidentified men in gray suits were also in attendance, and Jacobs believed them to be CIA. When questioned about what transpired on the film, Jacobs simply said, It looks like a UFO, to which he was ordered to never say that again. Dr. Jacobs further elaborates that Major Mansman, before escorting him from the office, whispered to him that should he ever need to answer, under pain of torture, what took place in this video, to say that it was really just laser tracking.
Astronauts deal with the effects of radiation quite frequently in space. Anyone traveling outside of the Earth's orbit loses the benefit of our magnetosphere, meaning that they get blasted with a full dose of radiation during their travels. Oftentimes, this is mitigated by a layer of shielding on their craft, but it doesn't prevent it entirely. In a new paper recently released, it is proposed that a fungi called Cladosporium spherospermum, which thrives in radioactive environments, could be used as a living radiation shield for extended space travel. This fungi grows terrestrially in extreme environments, such as Chernobyl. In fact, it thrives in areas of high radiation. While 2019 tests on the ISS showed that the fungus lowered radiation levels by roughly 2%, it would still take a considerably dense carpet of this stuff to effectively block solar radiation. Until more research can be done, astronauts will still have to rely on the conventional means. You know what astronauts don't have to deal with? Patreon. Yeah, that's right, I snuck it in. The Esoteric Book Club is on Patreon, and you can help support the show for as little as $1 a month. If you're super awesome and pledge at the highest tier, you can get a shout-out on every show, just like Samantha Shaver. Your contributions help me buy reading material, pay for server costs, and, in part, keeps me sufficiently caffeinated. In Chile's Atacama Desert, you can find tons of glass in the soil. Originally, it was believed that this was caused by something called a bolide, which is basically a stellar fireball that explodes in the atmosphere. The original theory was that the bolide ignited all the greenery in the area. Atacama wasn't always a desert, you see. And it then fused the silica in the soil into glass. The problem with this theory is that the mineral in the glass doesn't show any deposit that would have been made as a result of carbonized organic material, such as from forest fires. Instead, we have minerals that require heat and quantities of oxygen. As a result, the new theory is that it wasn't simply a bolide that exploded in the atmosphere, but instead a meteor that exploded just above the surface of the planet, possibly breaking up prior to entry, thus causing multiple explosions. This would have triggered massive heat, but also fire tornadoes that would fling the molten silica far and wide, mixing it with meteoric minerals that rained down upon the surface. While scientists have not been able to narrow down the exact date for this event, the general time frame coincides with the mass extinction of megafauna during the last ice age. Is this just a curious coincidence, or is this evidence that a stellar impact ended the Pleistocene epoch? Speaking of climate change, scientists studying the deforestation and ecology in the Amazon have noticed a rather interesting change in the physical characteristics of birds. In a study of 77 different bird species over a large swath of the rainforest, it's been observed that the average body size of avians is decreasing, while their wingspan is increasing. Scientists hypothesize that this is a way to conserve energy in an increasingly more sparse and dry habitat. The smaller body size reduces weight, while the larger wingspan increases the surface area of their wings, both of which are energy-saving traits for flying species. 
While it is believed that the evolution of physical characteristics takes long periods of time, the observations made in this study have been noted in just the past 40 years. While the birds have not changed drastically enough to be considered a different species, it does lend credence to the concept of survival of the fittest. There's a new term out there that you may not be familiar with, and that term is Jewitch. No, it's not the new kosher menu option at Subway. It's an amalgamation of the words Jewish and witch. It's all part of the movement to reintegrate magic into the Jewish faith, led largely by women who want to have a closer relationship to the earth incorporated into their faith-based practices. It's not really surprising, though. The Torah and Talmud are full of magic, despite specific prohibitions against the use of it. Quote, Once you remove the boundaries between ritual and magic, you realize it's not very different from what Jews have been doing for thousands of years, says Rabbi Jill Hammer of the Kohenet Hebrew Priestess Institute. She even points to the story of the Witch of Endor, who is portrayed in a positive light in Jewish religious tradition. Because of this, and many other examples from religious texts, it is seen that the prohibition against magic is unevenly applied. The Kohenet Institute is working to reintegrate magic into Jewish spirituality through meetings during the full moon, the revival of ritual and practice, and by embracing Jewish folk traditions, none of which have ever been referred to as witchcraft in rabbinical tradition. In China, there is a desert basin called Tarim. One of the most unique finds in that area are the Tarim mummies. These perfectly preserved corpses have recently had their DNA tested, and it's been found that they are the direct descendants of the individuals who lived during the last ice age. This means that instead of being migrants to the area 4,000 years ago, as was previously thought, they are in fact a much, much older population. What I personally found interesting about these mummies is that they were buried in boats with oar-shaped burial markers. In a desert. It seems that there were once rivers and oases that were abundant in the Tarim Basin in the past. In fact, there is evidence showing that the people were herders, fishermen, and farmers. These weren't a few scattered burials, either. There is a time span of burials ranging from 2000 BC to roughly 200 AD. Many corpses were found interred with nets, clothing made from wool, felt, and leather, and, most curiously, a piece of cheese hanging from a string around their neck. Mmm, corpse cheese. For our final segment, it's time for News of the Weird. A Bronze Age burial was recently uncovered in a United Kingdom golf course. The body was found in an intentionally hollowed out tree trunk, packed with plant material, and buried beneath a gravel mound. In the time since his interment, water levels have risen, covered him in silt, lowered, and his rocky tomb found itself as part of a water hazard. A beautiful gold and gemstone ring has been unearthed in Israel, in a region known for its production of wine. In this context, the amethyst ring is believed to have been used as a talisman to ward off hangovers. In fact, 
The name for the stone comes from the Greek amethystos, which translates literally to not drunk. In Yorkshire, England, there are the ruins of a monastic abbey known as Fountains Abbey. In the lower levels of the ruins, there was a particular structure which, until now, has been known as the bowling alley. Recent research has determined that the abbey's main source of income in fact came from the running of a massive tannery, of which the bowling alley was a location for the processing of animal hides. While we think of the ruins as being tranquil today, archaeologist Chris Gaffney describes it as historically being an industrious area that was, quote, quite noisy and quite smelly. Supersaurus! Ultrasaurus! Distillosaurus! These are the names of some of the largest animals to ever walk the Earth. Only, it seems that two of those three may not have existed at all. Initially, the find was discovered in 1972 in what has since been described as a bone salad. Because of the distortion of the bones and their jumbled nature, it was initially thought that there were remains of three different sauropod species. Since then, more supersaurus remains have been discovered, and, after taking a closer look at the fossils found in the bone salad, it seems that they may all actually belong to only one animal. They were just really, really mangled. While it is estimated that this monstrous dinosaur may be between 120 and 140 feet in length, it's sadly not the largest animal to ever exist. That distinction goes to some weird aquatic creature known as a siphonophore that lives in an underwater canyon off the coast of Australia. The United Kingdom is adding an amendment to its animal welfare sentience bill, acknowledging that decapods, mollusks, and octopods are sentient creatures capable of feeling pain, pleasure, hunger, thirst, warmth, joy, comfort, and excitement. Despite this announcement, it is still unclear whether or not we can still eat them. In our final story tonight, Egypt is no stranger to plagues. They have suffered locusts, frogs, pestilence, boils, water turning into blood, and other assorted biblical wraths. In early November, the Aswan region fell under a new plague, a plague of scorpions. After a period of intense rainfall, flooding forced the arachnids out of their subterranean homes and into the homes of the citizens of Aswan. In total, more than 500 people were hospitalized with stings, and three people died as a result of complications of the attacks. Of the 31 species of scorpions found in Egypt, the most common one found in Aswan is the delightfully named Deathstalker. Quote, People who were stung by the scorpions said their symptoms included severe pain, fever, sweating, vomiting, diarrhea, muscle tremors, and head twitching. It sounds to me like the Deathstalker may carry the same side effects as most modern pharmaceuticals. This concludes tonight's program. Esoteric Book Club can be found on Facebook, Instagram, Podchaser, Patreon, and at esotericbookclub.org. Links to all the articles from this month's episodes are in the show notes listed below. 
As always, until next time, remember, stay weird. Hi, could I order a six inch Jewwitch on falafel with lox and extra cream cheese, please?